Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 230 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Dana Hawkins all about writing queer romance and queer joy. But first, to the comments. So on Clayton's episode, we had a Mac descendant say, hi, I'm the rebel story of the week. I wore that snake more often than I should have, but it was a small snake, only three feet long. My father also had piranhas and a tarantula. Oh my God, <laughs> tarantula. I would literally never sleep, ever. I wouldn't even set foot in the house. That would be it. I would just divorce my father. Uh, but uh, a Mac descendant says, uh, but I never took those out of the house. Yes, not surprised. Can't say I'm surprised by that. I don't think I'd ever step anywhere close to the boundary of that property. <laughs> J.R. Pierce Nelson says, I loved this episode. WWM promotions have been part of my strategy for years. They're only getting better with all the additions. Ah, I love the love for them. Uh, Leah Copeland writes, just listen to this and I think I need scented pages now. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot all about that. I'm sure somebody has done that. Somebody has to have done that already. That cannot be a new idea. I just don't know how you would do it. Unless you sort of painstakingly sprayed each page uh, as you pop, well, not each page, but painstakingly sort of sprayed the books as you put them inside the book boxes or something. Then you'd have to be careful not to get oil on. Why am I talking about this? Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm just going to move on. Right. Um, Tiny, uh, Tiny Avon, oh, Tina, Tina Vantala author, oh, I probably butchered that Instagram handle, says a fantastic episode full of actionable advice. Glad to hear you hit your financial goals too. Uh, but yes, success can be a heady mix of exhilaration and fear. And that is a really good summary. I have to say, I'm rather saner this week than I was last week. I am, I am a lot calmer. I have calmed my tits <laughs> and I am not so... Uh, roller coastery this week, partly because I did have my very first day off this year. In fact, it was probably uh, no. Well, I had a couple of days off at Christmas, literally three. Uh, but I did have my first day off this year on Sunday. It is now Wednesday. I also had yesterday off. I only worked for like an hour in the morning. Uh, well, two two hours. Okay, maybe I didn't have yesterday off, but I barely worked yesterday. Today I am back to work. And uh, I'm chomping, chomping at the bit. I'm really struggling, if I'm honest. So I don't know if you guys ever feel like this, but I struggle in the transition period between projects. So when I have finished editing, I sort of quite easily slip into the marketing, but I really struggled to switch from marketing back into outlining the next book. And I did start to try to outline yesterday and I just sort of opened Plotter and was like, uh, how the fuck do I outline? <laughs> Like, literally no memory. It's only like the 20 fucking whatever it is book, book that I've written. Uh, but no, apparently I can't remember how to write. And I just sort of feel like I need a reset and I don't really know what that reset looks like. Or more to the point, I can't remember how I used to reset. I think it's because actually I tended to not start the next project until one was the last one was launched but I don't really like with the amount that I want to write this year I don't really have that flexibility so I do at least need to outline uh, over the next couple of weeks but also I had the webinars which were amazing oh my god the reaction that I got from people um who attended the webinar was incredible it was actually extremely encouraging because I was you know as usual full of self-doubt before uh I did the webinar and after the first one <laughs> people's brains were melting and it just filled me with joy uh so that has given me the courage to do it again uh when I will do it and what the topic will be I'm not sure so if you have webinar topics you'd love me to present on do let me know oh what else can I tell you yes so I have calmed down uh since last week and part of that is because you know uh I launched the kickstarter which omg fuck me I oh my god this is suck I have so much to tell you guys uh last week I launched the kickstarter and in fact a week ago today holy moly 
And I did not <laughs> anticipate the reaction I got. I I only put a thousand pounds as the goal because I thought that was really realistic. This is my first Kickstarter. I'm writing in a small niche. Um, you know, I'm still relatively new author for this genre, not a new author overall, but a new author for this genre. You know, I only published my first book not even a year ago. Uh, so I thought £1,000 was realistic. I also thought, you know, in my head, I was trying to reach £5,000 because I thought that would be a good amount of money, uh, you know, for the amount of time that I'd invested. Uh, well, <laughs> we had surpassed that pretty fucking quickly. Uh, and by the end of the first 24 hours, I had made £10,000 on Kickstarter, which is just... <laughs> just boggling to be honest we're now at 15,600 something I think so obviously that first push is huge and then it does tail off everybody warned me that you'd have this sort of soggy middle and then it's hopefully it speeds back up again towards the end so um I've learned so many things that um you know I think there are lots of other people who, who talk about this in a much better way this is only my first one so I'm I, and I'm not even at the end of it but at some point I might roll in some of the lessons that I've learned um about this of which there are many uh but incredible if you like shiny rainbow holographic beautiful books holographic foiling on the jacket the the case laminate color not safe for work art um head and tail bands um beautiful illustrated maps color end pages bookmark ribbon bound into the book you are going to love this hand signed hand numbered exquisitely gay uh vampire romance book so do go and check it out <clears throat> i would love for you to tell your friends even if you don't want to uh, support the kickstarter not a problem tell someone who might uh yeah uh, we've got one more stretch goal on there at 20k and it would be fucking amazing like i would literally be a puddle on the floor i might even promise you a tear if we get to 20k <laughs> In fact, I will. I'll promise you some tears. I will post them publicly if we get to 20k. And you know I'm dead on the inside. Um, but even if you don't want to follow the Kickstarter or support the Kickstarter, you can still pre-order House of Crimson Hearts. Uh, it is on my website. It is now on Amazon too. The Although Amazon, in their delightfully difficult ways, are refusing to merge the paperbacks and, e and, and hardbacks with the ebook at the moment. What the fuck? But anyway, uh, if you want it nice and easy, then come to my Shopify store, which is at rubyrow.co.uk. So for the next week or two, then I am focused on launching. Uh, I'm focused on pushing the Kickstarter and uh, launching the vampire romance book. And who doesn't like grumpy gargoyles and bratty bedroom vampires? Come on, guys. Uh, so that is where my primary focus is, along with clearing the decks of admin. I did get my inbox down from 100 actions <laughs> it is now sitting at 21 I think I had it down as low as 14 and it's sort of creeping back up again now um but I did get on top of it and uh I am also outlining so that is kind of my major task at the moment the two kicks the kickstarter and the launch clearing the decks of the last little bits that I owe I'm presenting at pro writing aids um a romance writers week this week and then I am back to outlining and I am going to do something different this time so I am outlining the second and third books in this vampire trilogy and the reasons I'm doing that is because I've earned a little bit more over the last couple of months I can afford to have an extra month between launches so Although I'm putting the the pre-order up for, I think, September for book two, my intention is to release in June, um, which would be February, uh, so March, April, May, June. So four months between launch, even though it will be finished probably in April. Um, and so the reason for this is because I want to start banking books. I need to, mm, well, I, okay, so I'm not going to say slow down because we all know that's bullshit and I'd be a liar if I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to slow down. No, you're fucking not. Uh, but I want less 
pressure. So for example, like basically this this year, I'm going to still try and write six books, but I'm only going to launch four. Because what that then means is that I can then um, have longer between um, finishing the book and launching it so I can have more kind of time to do campaigns and things. But also just to not be under so much pressure. This time with the with Ingram Spark has been so, so fucking stressful. I only had the covers approved last night because there was an issue with the first round of covers. My designer hasn't been getting back to me as quick as I need uh, and basically caused quite a few stress issues for me. So I've had to have a friend uh, and God bless that friend uh, come to my rescue to help me um, sort the covers out. And we are now 14 days out from the launch and I don't have a physical proof copy. And bear in mind that 50% of my income, in fact, more than 50% of my income comes from physical copies. <laughs> I am nervous <laughs> that there might still be things wrong. Uh, so this is just not the kind of stress that I want. So the way to counteract that is to have longer lead times. I don't really want longer lead times, but I think it's sensible. And I need to kind of look at my business plan and uh, production. So kind of in combination, look at the business plan, all the income streams um, and products, because I'm definitely looking at products and things now, and then also the production plan. And I just think I need to align them slightly more because my brain is still working on an indie model of ebook digital first. And I'm not actually running a business that's ebook digital first. I'm running a physical book and product business first. So that is causing a lot of jarring in my brain and also problems in my like business systems and structures and uh, output. And so I just need to realign. And so that is basically my reason for uh, outlining two books back to back and then writing two books back to back. And essentially between now and when we go to New Zealand in on the 20th of July, I need to write four books. So I, I'm not going to say that I'm dropping off the face of the planet, but I am going to really, really focus on what is important I'm going to try and which is words and outlining and inputting and try and ease up on the rest of the stuff so I'm probably not going to say yes to anything else for a little while um just so that I can prioritize giving myself more time and less stress <laughs> I really have found where the line of my um, ability is. And I fucking hate admitting this because in my head I am superwoman and I can do everything and all of the things and they can all be done all at once, of course. And the reality is, is that's not true. <laughs> I hate admitting that. Oh, I feel gross. But it is, it is, it is my reality. And so I am having to face that and... This last month, I actually nearly broke myself. Like, I really, this is the closest I've come to breaking. Um, and it's because I was probably about 20% over what my capacity should be. And um, so, lesson learnt, basically. And I need to relook at everything. So, I need, like, a pause and a day to just assess. And, yeah, I don't know. Joanna Penn was talking about your author business plan. And I read that book a long time ago and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, I, what I'm really good at is like, um, shush, Duchess. God, she's so noisy. Uh, I'm really good at like taking what I've read and then kind of assembling that in my brain. And I've been holding on to a lot of that for a long time. And I, I just need to take it out of my brain and stop letting it use up a mental track. And so I think I'm going to take a day out to just do that and then relook at the production plan and also what things I can outsource. Like if I am really truly looking at, you know, also a product-based business, then <clears throat> it's, ju it's just more than me now. I just can't do everything on my own. God, I hate, this is a horrible episode. I hate admitting this stuff. But um, yeah, loads and loads and loads of realizations this year, this, this last couple of months, it has just changed everything. And so, yeah, anyway, I think I should probably stop waffling on. I've been talking for a while, but um, hopefully you guys can learn from my mistakes. <laughs> 
Okay, Rebel of the Week this week is Jasmine Arch. Jasmine, Jasmine says, I've recently taken to venting my frustration through petty poetry. Well, I already love the sound of this. It all began when I, a free verse poet for the most part, finally managed to draft a sonnet, except my poetry critique partner and I were both a bit lost. I mentioned this to a form poet I know, though not closely, and she offered to have a look at it. And one of her main critiques was that my language was not elevated enough. It was too much like spoken English. Let that be the style of poetry uh, I tend to vibe with. I love contemporary feelings, feeling accessible poems. So I wrote the first of my petty poems. What is elevation except a synonym for altitude? How many steps can I ascend until my language loses its footing? Words stop making sense when they tumble off the page or climb beyond the bounds of gravity to float among the stars. Ah, oh, I love that. It's silly, of course, but any sort of pettiness always makes me feel so much better. <laughs> Oh, you are a girl after my own heart. Petty poems about people who piss me off have become a bit of a trend. And surely one day I'll have enough to fill a collection. If you want petty, let me fucking tell you. I have... So I used to work in a, in a place where... <laughs> I don't know if I should be admitting this. I used to, used to... Hey, listen, I'm going to blame my number one competition, okay? I used to work in this corporate place and I had, you know, the boss who told me that my personality was a risk to my reputation. So I looked up that person's... Um, salary because it's public information and I wrote that salary on a piece of a post-it that is on my whiteboard if you were to zoom in on some of my photos you'd probably be able to see the post-it I shall not tell you the color of it though uh, but anyway I have that amount on a post-it and I will not rest until I'm earning more than that fucking post-it <laughs> so if you want petty I can join you on petty I love petty any petty rebellions I want them I want to hear them uh, you can be a rebel of the week please do send in your story it can be petty it can be any kind of rebellion though something big something small or something in between you can email your rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com so thank you to up pledges and new patrons uh j christina adams cassie emerson thank you so so much and of course an enormous thank you to all of my existing patrons if you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content like the slack community chat group the movie nights the poison and prose question and answer writing sprint sessions the master classes then you can from as little as two dollars a month week's episode is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid. Other than me tell you all about why I love Pro Writing Aid, I'm going to let Caitlin Duncan tell you all about why she loves Pro Writing Aid. And don't forget, Caitlin is the author of Take Back Your Book, the ultimate guide to owning your book rights. For me, Pro Writing Aid is a constant companion for every writing project. I dedicate two whole steps of my editing process for Pro Writing Aid to ensure that my books are at the level that my readers expect. I love how this style and grammar editor brings my writing to a whole other level, and I'm constantly improving my craft every time I use it. I also enjoy using the browser extension so I can ensure that even if I'm down to the deadline with an author newsletter or a very important email from my publishing network, that my communication is clear and effective every single time. And I also love how you get lifetime access to this program, which gives me the confidence that I don't have to worry about another subscription service. And the lifetime updates truly make this a worthwhile investment in my career and life. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm joined by Dana Hawkins. Dana is a contemporary romance author of sparkly sapphic stories. When not searching the country for the perfect cup of piping hot Americano, she spends her time chasing her kids and re-watching 90s movies. After living for 20 years in Seattle, she recently trekked back to her hometown in Minnesota. She is a huge romance genre book nerd and borderline obsessed with happy ever afters. Hello and welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am just absolutely thrilled to be here. Oh, no, thank you for joining me. So before we dive into more about you and your book, um, tell me about the 90s movies. What's oh your favorite? Gosh. <laughs> uh, Pulp Fiction, probably. Oh, okay, Red classic. Dogs. Yeah, oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, 
oh, Fight Club, but now I'm like, is that 90s or is that early 2000? But kind of the, mm, that yeah, genre. That, okay, so when was Back to the Future? Was that 90s? I feel like that I was 90s. That was, is that it 80s? Was, I think it might have been 80s. It no, might have been. it couldn't have no. been. Oh, God. Now I'm really showing my age. I mean, Fight Club and Pulp Fiction were two, like, movies that were huge in my formative years. So I, like, remember loving that. And The Matrix was all kind of, like, yes. Matrix must have been, was Matrix 2000s? No, was it 99? It was 99. It was 99, yeah, because it was before um, the, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm going to Google it when you start talking, but I'm pretty okay. sure The Matrix was 99. Um, but yeah, anyway, love, love a good like throwback movie. Uh, oh, yeah, would you definitely. would you like to tell everyone a, l- a little bit about you and your journey? Like, how did you get to where you are today? Definitely. Um, so I think we all have interesting stories of how we become a writer. I didn't set out to be a writer, but when I was a kid, I used to tell myself stories uh, to fall asleep. And way back when it was all about New Kids on the Block and Donnie Wahlberg. And I just thought he was super dreamy at the time. And that story evolved as I aged. And even as an adult, it had kind of taken on a form. It was no longer Donnie Wahlberg, but it had taken on a form, um, a different form in my head. And over the pandemic, I was like, you know what? I should probably just write this story down. Just, you know, whatever happens to it, I'm going to write it down. And I think it was a product of um, having more time, being forced to stay inside the house, that something just triggered in my brain. And I had never felt this rush that I'd felt. I could see it. I My fingers could not keep up with the words in my head. And I, um, I ended up writing like 150,000 words in like maybe two to three months of kind of a crappy story, but I did it. I did it and I loved it. And so from there, I thought, okay, I have to start getting some craft books. And I said this before we started, but your um, The Anatomy of the Prose is one of my very first ones. And I started devouring, like, how do you make a story? How do you make a plot? How do you make your characters memorable? Um, and then I just really, really uh, got into it and loved it and fell in love with it. And so I still have a, a day job, but um, I do this at night. I do it when the kids go down to sleep I do it on the weekends and I'm just I found my passion I found my love oh I love that I did check the matrix was 99 I don't know how I have that piece of information stored in my brain but I did it was 99 Uh, (laughs) maybe before the whole y2k thing came out and that was like a yeah, because, and right? the AI, and I think that's why it was so, like, relevant in my mind, because, you know, we had the millennium bug and stuff, didn't we? Yes. So it was that whole, yeah, anyway. Um, I love oh that story. Do, were you were you always, like, a, you know, childhood reader? Like, did you, oh, do yeah. you think, yeah, yeah, I want, yeah. I loved books. I was obsessed with um, The Babysitter Club and Sweet Valley High and some of those stories growing up, I used to steal my mom's Danielle Steele books. Oh. Um, there were no queer, <laughs> there were no queer stories, at least no. that I was when I was younger. And so I didn't even know that really existed. Or maybe like you'd get a little surprise in one of the books, but it was always, I think if I recall, written in kind of a negative manner or some creepy guy next door mm. or whatever. Um, so it took until I was an adult to find sapphic romances and sapphic stories. Um, but yeah, I loved reading. I always love reading. Yeah, I think it's such a shame, but that was exactly the same for me, really. Um, And even the first time I read a sapphic book, it still didn't really click. It took for me to read like a couple before I was like, oh, my goodness me, like I am reacting differently to sapphic fiction than I am to everything else fiction. (laughs) Um, You know, and it's because I could see myself in fiction and it's really quite a shocking realisation to realise there is such a, like, emotional, physical uh, kind of difference in your reaction and the way that you engage with fiction when you see yourself Mm -hmm. in those books. And that's why diverse stories are so important Um, because, you know, like... I want younger kids to be able to see themselves in the stories that they read because, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was lucky I fell in love with fiction anyway, but a lot of kids don't because they can't see themselves in it. Right. I absolutely agree. I think it's so important. I think my daughter right now, she is really into the Heartstopper. I have not Um, read it, but apparently it is all the rage. And just that the fact that these stories exist now and they're plentiful or 
they should be more plentiful, but they mm. are out there and they're in her library and they're in the public libraries. Just, it's amazing. Yeah, it, it really, really is. And like, yeah, I want to keep on giving that gift back to the generations coming up. Yes. Um, so let's start with Queer Joy. What is it? Yeah. And like, how does it relate to novels? And what does it look like in a novel? And yeah, talk to me about yeah. Queer Joy. Okay, so this is a, a term that I use for my writing. And I can kind of start where I evolved into this. So several stories back, I wrote a very dark, um, gritty YA novel about a young woman who had to go through conversion therapy with her very religious parents. And I would write a little bit and then I would cry and then I would be in a really dark space and I wasn't interacting with my children the way that I wanted. And then I would take a break and then I'd go back and I'd write some more. And then again, this like dark, really icky space. And I ended up finishing the book and I took some time away from it and I went back to edit it and that same dark space popped up for me. And I thought, you know what? I can't do this. I don't want the way that I feel um, to be projected out there. Now, this is to say this is me. I absolutely understand that people have to write their trauma story. I am not dictating how anybody else does it. There are some incredible, incredible, really gritty, heartfelt coming out stories, like definitely. So please take it like that. But for me, um, I was like, you know what? I don't want a world in my books to exist uh, that homophobia exists. It's not an issue. It is it is Schitt's Creek style living. And so for those who may have seen that show or, or may have not, um, it was a comedy that came out of Canada a few years ago. And I watched this entire series um, and it had a queer main character. And I never once had that kind of cringe moment where, oh, he's going to experience some hate or, oh, the locals are going to be mean to him. And it was so refreshing. And so I thought, okay, that's how I want to write. It's a world where my characters have so many problems, but being queer is not one of them. So that is where I started doing this queer joy. And so, yes, they cry and yes, they have conflict and yes, they might hate someone, but it's never about their identity. Yeah, I think, um, so I write a real mix. And I think what we're saying is, is that the world needs everything, you know, because mm -hmm. there, there is a lot of healing for readers as well as writers who do write the darker stuff. But just as we have dark fantasy, we also have cozy fantasy mm -hmm. and there's a place for all of it. So yeah, I think, you know, I think that's an important thing to say. Um, yeah. yeah, for me, like the second book that I wrote and I always get the name wrong, it's Compet, but I can never remember. It's like compulsive, is it compulsive heterosexual? sexualness or heteronormativity whatever the word is anyway basically okay. being compulsively <laughs> heterosexual which is kind okay. of what I experienced because I came out at 16 and then went back into the closet because I lived in a really conservative area and it just wasn't really the done thing but I think if I'd lived in a more diverse area at that age I probably never would have gone back in the closet and actually I, I probably never would have even bothered trying to be straight um yeah. but for me, like, I didn't even really realize that that's what I had written until somebody pointed it out to me. And and they were like, you know, you, you probably need that as a trigger warning. So I've actually got to go back and put that in as a trigger warning because I didn't even realize I'd done it. But that was, you know, one of the things that was in the book. But for the most part, I I love reading fiction where there is no homophobia and it's just like and also the other thing, because I think this is a big thing for queer writers, where it's not a coming out story. Like, I, I feel like the early fiction in queer fiction was all coming out stories. But actually, like, the market's more mature than that now. And we just want stories where being gay is just just a part of you, not the whole of you, you know? Right. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I also think creating this world where um, getting away from acceptance or tolerance or, you know, those kind of words. And, like, we're celebrating. Like, this is who we are but again this is part of who we are we're also a mom and an author and a cook and a coffee shop owner whatever yeah exactly a million things so yeah I really love that okay well let's talk about the trope opposites attract like what is at the heart of opposites attract other than the obvious like what elements are essential to to it and like 
for you, how did you choose which elements to make opposite, which elements, you know, because inside opposites attract, there's still an attraction. So so kind of talk me through the elements of making that trait really land. And then, yeah, I guess like the elements of opposite and the elements of attraction. Sure. So um, for me, when I was first starting this story, um, not in the plan that we're talking about, I created this character, Charlie, the main character. And I I was very diligent about creating her first. I wanted to really land her and I wanted her to be this free spirit and this long wavy hair. And she likes dresses, but she also has like tattoos and piercings. And her goal in life is to spread joy and um, have her little energy rocks and manifest all the good things and have motivational quotes all over her um, house. And I really dove into this and I dove into like what her home looked like. She wanted fairy lights and she wants a hammock and um, all of those kind of sparkly things. But then going a little bit deeper with that, I also wanted her to be kind of a hot mess. She has shit everywhere, boxes and her bills. And, you know, the book opens up where she is literally so behind on bills that she doesn't know if she's going to foreclose and she's just disorganized. And so I created that of like who she is, kind, wonderful, joyful, but a complete mess. Um, And then I thought, okay, so let me do the other character. What is the opposite that military style clothes, um, shy, quiet, anxious, does not like people, just in general, you know, whether that's social anxiety or she just doesn't really like people. Um, She doesn't like to make uh, clothing choices. So she wears the same thing every single day. Um, She's very rigid, you know, these type of things. And I thought, okay, those are two spectrums, opposite spectrums. Um, But then how do you, you have to have more than that. How do you make them love each other? And I think throughout the, the course of the story, they each took a little bit from the other person to help them evolve as a human. So even though Charlie was like, Jesus, like she is so rigid and she's so uptight, um, slowly she starts to organize her back room and slowly she starts to figure out how to pay her bills. And then Mac, the more uptight, rigid one, learns, you know, kind of the joy of being around people and accepting love and feeling love. And um, it's, being free and so I think kind of intersecting those two is you know how I approach this with opposites attract so it's kind of like each of them had an element that the other needed in order to be a whole person yes I think that's perfectly fair I should have said that (laughs) no no well you did that's the thing I was listening to what you said and I was just summarizing yeah I was summarizing (laughs) what you said um yes so how how do you pace that out over a book? Like how, how like are there key moments when you show those changes? Like is it only in the big moments in the plot? Like what are some of the things that you did to show the changes? Yeah, I think um the most significant was with Charlie with the free spirit that there is these um little scenes where after meeting Mac and seeing sort of how organized and I guess rigid or uptight she is that she went in her back room and she's like, you know what? I really should uh, organize my drawer. And so she starts to just organize her drawer just for the day, just kind of a tiny little scene just sprinkled in there. And then maybe a few chapters later, um, she was like, you know what? I need to really sit down with these bills and build a spreadsheet. And then a few chapters later, it really evolves into like she had to get her life organized. She was really running from her her problems, essentially, is what it was. And it just so I think it it sprinkled. It didn't frost in one single chapter. Um, And then with Mac, I think that was also throughout the course of the story. She just slowly opened up. She slowly opened up um, to her parents, which she had been holding herself back and um, her communication style evolved by the end. I love that. What like so the other thing that I think about opposites attract is that well one it's a juxtaposition which I love but two there's kind of inherent conflict in opposition. So what what did you do to use those oppositenesses? The really good word, Sasha. Um, you know, to create conflict. Like how did you use the opposition that that they had between each other to create tension and you know that inevitable you're annoying me but actually I'm secretly attracted to you kind of thing 
Yeah, I would say um, one of the biggest things was with max sort of um, rigidness, uptightness, organization, that she got irritated. Like she was annoyed. Like how does this woman just not have her shit together? Mac was also very more, or very more, <laughs> Mac was also more adventurous. Um, where Charlie had slept with one woman, which was her wife, her entire life. And then she had one, one night stand and she was like so distraught about it where Mac just had multiple partners and she was really comfortable with that lifestyle. And so I think there was also kind of an issue where Charlie's like, oh, so, you know, she's not loyal or she has women all over and where Mac is like, oh my gosh, she is just not, uh, the way that I normally date, you know? So I think that you can kind of create it that way. Um, but I think a lot of it, I, I had a little bit of those irritations definitely throughout the story, but I also really just tried to use it more as a positive. And so for instance, Mac um, is very calm in chaos and which is kind of opposite Charlie um, when the, a huge storm hits um, Charlie is kind of frantic and freaking out and like using Max rigidness just like really helped her get through this scary moment um, but yeah okay so let's talk about spice I am a hardened smart reader and kind of a smart writer as well. Um, And this strikes me much more as a sweet romance. Mm -hmm. So like how in terms of like structure and tension and compellingness, do you make a sweet romance work? And I know that you can because it's Mm a booming genre. But as somebody who's never attempted to write it, I haven't learned the mechanisms to make it work. So like from my nerdy point of view, I'd love to dive into kind of the structures of that. And I guess like get deeper into that conflict and kind of, you know, yeah, how you create that, the stakes and the tension. Sure. So first, I love that you're a smut writer. I love smut, but I also read it like when I like this and I'm blushing and I'm like, oh my God, my grandma's going to like, see me from heaven and judge me and you know it's just like it's sort of strange um or not strange it's wonderful um and I wish I could do it and I can't because I keep thinking my dad is going to see this and Thanksgiving is going to be so awkward and I'm just like I can't have him read it do your parents read then because my parents don't read my books so it's fine they don't okay (laughs) (laughs) so my mom read my book and and I thought my book was spicy (laughs) <laughs> but it's probably like a 1.5 spice. Um, and she read it and I said, mom, there's a chapter in there that the women are going to go to bed together. And she was like, yeah, she's like, oh, I've read Daniel steal my whole life. I'm like, well, these are lesbians. So, you know, and she, um, so she read it and she gave the book back to me and I said, what do you think? And she said, it's very gay. <laughs> that was her reaction and then she goes I don't think your dad's gonna read that and I go that's fine he doesn't have to no the only yeah. so my wife has read my first book but now uh the books are coming in audio she's gonna read the rest because she's um severely dyslexic so she prefers to read oh. with her ears um yeah. but my my mom I've never seen my mom read a book in my whole life and my dad only reads non-fiction but my sister she read it and she highly approves <laughs> I love that your sister is so supportive. <laughs> I love, oh, oh, she's super. God. She's like, so when's the next book coming? <laughs> oh my god, I love that. Have you had any like relatives, like your aunt or uncle or anyone? Um, no, not really. I don't think so. I I'm trying to think if I've had any. Actually, I sent a copy to my aunt, um, but she she I don't. She, if she read it, she didn't tell me if she if she'd read it. But okay. um, no, that's it. So just my wife read the first book and my sister read oh my uh, gosh. yeah my sister read the first book actually my sister might have read the second one as so I'm not sure anyway anyway it's so brave yes. oh my gosh yeah. I love it I love it so with sweeter romances um I think for me it was all about the romance and less about the sex of course sex is part of it and I have it it's a fade to black scene there's you know like a chapter of a lot of touching and feeling and kissing and whatever and then it just kind of <laughs> when they move lower uh, they go into the bedroom. Um, and I think I wanted to make like that, how to make that compelling was more about the heartbreak and the heartache and like the trusting and opening yourself up to trust and hope 
or opening yourself up to trust again. Um, so how do you that show was- that in the text? Like, give me examples of like, yeah, I suppose the craft element of that, because for me, it's really easy. I just keep ramping up the sex, you know, one minute we're talking about kissing and then we're talking about tits and vag, you know, like it just, it ramps up real quick, you know? Yeah. It's very oh my easy God. for me to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I think I'm trying to think of a particular scene in my book, um, but with Charlie, she was married and her and her wife were divorced and it was really crushing. And I have scenes talking about her, how, you know, she didn't eat and she didn't shower for days and she was stinky and shaky, um, uh, signing the divorce papers. And so when she's having these moments where she's getting closer and closer to Mac, that she kind of thinks about that and like how, how nauseated she feels and could she ever get to that place where she can forget how she feels or at least put that to bed put it to rest and then open herself up to potentially feel that again so mm-hmm. that's sort of how I tackle it mm-hmm. okay so I'm, I'm trying to think about what else so is it quite sensory as well I suppose like in yes. terms yeah okay a lot of thudding heartbeats a lot of knotted stomachs a dry mouth like she wants to speak but her tongue feels oh. heavy and she's thinking of um you know past icky space with her wife and yeah a lot of sensory internal emotions okay okay cool so I have not got to the end of your book I have read the beginning and um so another difference I am a fantasy writer uh, and so world building is integral to my novels that said I firmly believe that in contemporary romances, you still need to world build. And you've got a delightful coffee shop that feels very real and vibrant and full and like vivid. So like, how did you do that? So first of all, (laughs) fantasy writers to me are the most brilliant human beings. How you literally pull a world that doesn't exist. I mean, I can go into any Starbucks and just kind of like describe what I see or any sort of indie coffee shop. Um, And so I'm really jealous of that skill. Someday I would love to learn that skill because I don't have it at all. Um, But what I did for this is multiple things. I really wanted to use the smell. So smells are so strong for me. Um, they, they conjure up a lot of memories. I think for a lot of people, sense conjure up memories and conjure feelings. And so I wanted to really hit on a smell. Like what does freshly ground coffee beans smell like? What is newly placed hardwood floors smell like? Is there like a vapor, like a industrial vapor, or is it clean, fresh? Um, the city of Seattle, for those who have been there, to me has a smell. It's some of the cleanest air I think I've ever smelled. Um, and I have a scene in there where, where Mac is talking about how it smells like the color green. It's ripe and it's meadowy and people smoke a lot of weed there. So there's marijuana always traced wherever you are. Um, There's like lavender and evergreen and um, it's also very wet. And so I kept thinking of like this, the scent of wetness smells like a penny to me. And maybe it doesn't for other people, but that like coppery sort of smell. So that's how I wanted to build it is first, like talk about the scents and then talk about the textures and the feels. So when she's walking on a freshly um, rained lawn, is the earth squishy? Is it hard? Is it muddy? Does she get stuff on her feet? You know, just kind of like all of those different um, senses I tried to hit on in order to create this world. And then also I really did. And thank you for saying that I wanted people to like visualize what the actual coffee shop looked like. And before I started, actually, this was one of my um, close girlfriends. She's a critique partner, Amy Nielsen. She's a super fan girl of you. Actually. I think she actually emailed you on behalf of me. Um, she, um, she had talked about that I should sketch out like an architect the entire coffee shop. So I knew exactly where the bath, even if I don't talk about the bathroom, I know where the bathroom is and I know where the cash register is and I know where the bakery goods are and the storage room and how that leads up to like her loft. She lives on top of the coffee shop and where the front doors were. Is it here or is it on the side? Is there a sidewalk? Is there stairs? So everything. So I had a full sketch of what the shop looked like so I could constantly reference it when I was talking about it. I don't start writing a book unless I have a map. Oh, smart. Oh, it's, do you? It's, it's actually the first thing I do before I do anything else, before I create a character, before I put a do a mood board, before I do anything. The very first thing I do is create a map. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. That is I, so smart. Is well, that like a trick? Do other people do this or is this? 
Uh, I don't know. I, I know a lot of fantasy writers do create a map. Whether or not they do it first, I don't know. But I am ridiculously visual as a person. So um, the first thing I always need is a map. And then the second thing I need are character images. Like, so either I'll mid-journey them or I'll, you know, go to Pinterest. I used to go to Pinterest and spend hours searching for the right image. Now mid-journey can create it in seconds. But yeah, so that that's what I do. But I always, always start with a map. And um, usually I start with like a world or city level map. And obviously, like I'm not a map, you know, creator. So it's like a four year old did it. But I know roughly where everything is. And then um, uh, in in the girl games in the first book, there's a heist. So I actually had my mum draw out a palace for me so that because my mum's a much better artist than me. Um, so I had her draw it out so I could actually visualize where they were going because they were like climbing through walls and stuff. It was crazy. Um, oh so so yeah, I I completely understand that, and that's I think that's very sage advice to do the um, picture of the coffee shop also because it keeps you consistent and you don't put the door one place and then move it somewhere else a bit like creating you know like a character bible or something yep absolutely oh I think that's really smart I love that you do a map I just (laughs) I yeah so smart um I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to ask about world building because I yeah I I always I, I know that you were saying oh that you're amazed at fantasy writers but I'm actually amazed at contemporary writers because I'm like how do you know what needs describing because like Uh, I almost struggle everything in a fantasy world is new right so I it's easier to pick the elements whereas in a in a contemporary romance everybody knows what everything looks like so for me I kind of struggle and actually I've written a YA contemporary sapphic book and that's one of the things that I still need to go back and improve on before I because I'm going to query it um because it's still a little bit white wall, white room for me. Um, And it's because I haven't made shit up. (laughs) Um, So yeah, yeah, I don't know. You know, I think um, with world building too, within contemporary romances is the other part that I wanted to do is really describe the characters, um, the like the customers in the shop. I wanted people to know like what they look like. They're wearing their Birkenstocks and their socks and their shorts in the middle of winter or whatever it is that that really make you feel like you're in the city. So like the city itself, Seattle is a, a secondary character. And I think I, I spent more time on that actually drawing out these random outlines of customers that, you know, I ended up not using a lot, but I think it helped me when I was talking, um, you know, about their orders or, you know, people who are shitty or people who are nice or the bad tippers or, you know, the man buns or whatever. So I think that was another element. Have you heard of the Clifton Strengths? Mm-mm. Oh, man, I so like I feel like I might know what a couple of your strengths are. For all my listeners, they'll be going, ah, everyone drink because I always talk about it. But um, yeah, I there's a certain there's sometimes you can see certain strengths. It's basically a psych- psychological profiling thing, a bit like Myers-Briggs. Have you ever heard of Myers-Briggs? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. so it's like Myers-Briggs except better. Um, okay. And yeah, there are certain things that people with certain strengths do you can see it in their writing and one of yours is just about like all the detail and like it's so wonderfully visual because it's detailed and kind of like unique characters and stuff anyway oh, anyway thank you for that oh hey, you're my token okay <laughs> let's talk about queer romance yeah what do you think is the same and what do you think is different um for about queer romance versus like straight romance Ah, uh, let me start there and then i'll ask you a secondary okay. kind of question Okay. So I think uh, the same thing is the same that's going to be in almost any romance book is girl gets girl or girl gets boy or boy gets girl. They lose girl, they get girl back. Like it is just a formula that works. It is in almost every romance. And so I think whether you're reading uh, queer or straight, you're going to always have that sort of storyline. I think the pining between the characters is always going to happen, obviously. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a romance story. Um, I think that it, it would be very rare to go into either queer or straight romance. And the person is just totally confident and they're just the entire time just chasing the person and they just know they're going to get them. I think that it probably wouldn't make for a very fun story either. So I would say those are the same. 
did we ask what was different? Or yeah, did I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what I think for me, at least, which, cause I've written both, um, I've only published the sapphic stories. Um, but I think what is different for me is often in straight romances is I feel like there's an alpha male. And maybe this is just the romances that I read and maybe the romances that I write. But when I'm writing sapphic novels, I don't really have an alpha character. I have two very distinct characters. And maybe also because I'm a woman, I can really feel like I can get into my character's head more than when I'm writing a dual POV male character. And I'm trying to make them vulnerable. But then I almost question myself as a writer, like, oh, people are going to think he's too vulnerable. And so I alpha him up. And I didn't find that I do that within queer stories. And I also find that I don't read that as much in queer stories, that there's an uh, alpha omega type relationship. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think that I need to think about that because I have definitely read queer stories where there is an alpha female, but mm. that's more ice queen trope. So sure. it's intentionally put in as an alpha. Um, and I also have read it in more BDSM erotica because then you obviously you need a dom and you need a sub. So like sure. it's there. But I'm trying to think like for just like standard romance, I think you're probably right. You know, the other thing that I feel is that there's an emotional intensity in sapphic relationships in fiction that there isn't necessarily in straight. And, and of course there is an an intensity but it's it has different vibes and i and i'm struggling to verbalize what those vibes are but i have been in long term straight relationships and long term well sapphic relationships yeah and it's different like it's but it's yeah. really hard it is very different but it's hard to to verbalize that i don't know if you have any thoughts yeah. like on that emotional kind of intensity now, it's interesting because I think, um, you know, life imitates art. And I think just in the patriarchal society, there is just a sense that men, there's an unfair balance, right? And then within the queer sapphic romances, I guess, unless you're doing BDSM or, you know, very ice queen type tropes, it, it's just more even across the board, whether it's money, whether it's how they're being treated at work, whether it's just how they're viewed in society, Um yeah, so I, I think that would be where some of those differences come in. Yeah, like I, I would love to read um like a butch femme romance, but where the femme is like the dom and the butch is like the sub, because I think oh. that would be like a really fun dynamic because the stereotype assumption would be that the butch was the dom and the femme was the sub. But actually, right. yeah, like I, I think that would be like a really interesting dynamic. Or even when there's, you know, two femmes or two, yeah, actually I think the, the, there's so much femme femme in, in the, um, Certainly with trad books, there's a lot of femme femme in sapphic fiction. Um, but anyway, like now I'm yeah. probably at half of people listening going, what the fuck is a butch and a femme? And <laughs> don't worry, guys, it's fine. We know what we're oh talking about. Oh, that's um, hilarious. Like, are there any elements of sapphic relationships that you really wanted to represent that you don't necessarily see in a straight romance? Hmm. I think um, I really wanted to dive in more, maybe into the heart of what these women do. And I think, how can I try to explain this? I think with straight romances, at least for the ones that I write and the ones that I read, doesn't mean that they don't exist. Really getting into like the feeling, like how the guy, like his feeling and opening up and trusting in his soul and um, losing himself in this relationship uh, doesn't exist as much as I think within the sapphic stories, or at least the sapphic stories that I'm reading, that I think that there is uh, an equal-ish playing field with within the sapphic stories where they're really, it's just on such a deeper level. And maybe this is just me. Maybe this is just me not writing dudes very well. Um, but I just think that there's just so many more layers of emotionality that you can have within the sapphic stories especially the dual POV than you can with a straight. Yeah, I'm I'm like in my head, it's making me think about the L word versus sex in the city. And it's like, to me, like when I'm thinking about this, um, like the vibes are very similar in that it's a bunch of women gossiping, um, you know, having like romances and fucking their way through the city. Like, so those elements are the same, but the difference is, is the culture. 
right? Straight culture Mm -hmm. versus queer culture. And that's what I loved so much about the L word. Um, And for those who don't know what the L word is, it was, was it 90s? I feel, no, maybe noughties, I think. It must have been noughties. Yes, but the reboot. Are we talking about the original or the... Well, (laughs) I think I'm talking about the original, but but, I mean, it's same, 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 right? Um, But it was basically set in LA and it was a bunch of like lesbians basically dominating across the city doing their thing um and culturally it does show those nuanced little things you know and like the 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 cliche some of the cliches that are actually true in culture like how many fucking lesbians end up sleeping with their friends like I can't even tell you how many people end up sleeping with their friends it's just such a typical lesbian thing to do and it is true and it is a cliche but it is actually kind of true um and like that was one of the big things in the L word they had Alice had her bloody map of who'd slept with who and it's like you know we're all laughing about it but (laughs) because it's true but and it's those things that make us feel seen right so The love, love is love is love. Like the love is the same emotions. Everybody's feeling the same fucking thing um, and doing the same thing. Um, but it's the culture and and the culture in sex in the city was different to the culture in the L word, even though the vibes were the same. I don't think I've ever thought about this, but yeah, I think, yeah, maybe representing the culture in our books. And I don't necessarily do that because they're made up worlds which is yeah I don't know it's so interesting anyway sorry I am like blathering on I love it I love it um so you write really relatable characters how did you do that like what are the details or nuances and you have kind of talked a little bit about this but maybe you can kind of talk about it in relation to characterization specifically and kind of helping the readers to feel connected to the characters yeah so um I I think I when I start out with this book it's write what you know right so um, I love, you know, coffee shops and coffee and um, free spiritedness. And um, I also like writing one of the other characters as a writer. So feeling like I just knew both their professions just at a high level um, was very helpful. If, if you had me write like a medical romance, it just wouldn't be the same because I just don't know that world. Um, I also really took pieces of myself. There is genuinely pieces of me in both of these characters and especially with Mac, um, where she has anxiety. And uh, in the past, I have struggled with that. And I know what it's like to have a near panic attack. I know what it's like to literally feel every person behind you, you feel like they're staring at you because you're screwing up the cash register, you're screwing up your payment. And you're like, Oh, God, these people are looking at me and your chest is hot. And you feel like white flushes and you feel um hazy and tunnel vision and so like really tapping into like those key aspects of myself to bring it into the character I also um in the book Mac's mom is a breast cancer survivor and so is my mom and so that was a little bit hard for me to tap into but I really wanted to tap into it I think that the way that she had reacted to my to her mom I'm getting me in the character mixed up the way that Mac had reacted to her own mom was different than how I reacted where she ran and I didn't however some of the thoughts that she had like does my mom smell different like her body doesn't look the same I can't look at her hair anymore because it used to be long and full and now it's wispy and it makes me uncomfortable. And those were kind of uncomfortable scenes to write, but I don't think that they were untrue. I don't think it's um, not everyone who is like a sort of a caretaker or a loved one of someone who goes through an illness like that is just like, oh, it's great. We totally accept the double mastectomy. Nobody even notices. Like that's not true, at least not in my world. And so really kind of tapping into those uncomfortable um, sensations, I think is what kind of brought those women to life oh that's that I find that really really interesting and like I'm doing that thing again where I'm kind of like summarizing what you say but it's 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 having the characters be be free enough and I say free enough because we're writing them this way to say the things that we're afraid to say because that's what we connect to because they are experiencing and saying the things that we are like whether it be fear of judgment or shame or or fear of um, repercussions, we are too afraid to say those things. And that's what connects us to the characters. I think that's amazing. Um, Definitely. I love that. And I think I there's a lot that. of 
Thank you. I think there's a lot of freedom in that too. I think there's a healing process a lot of times with writing where you're going to say it, you're going to say how this made you feel that you may not be able to articulate in your waking life or with your loved ones, but it feels good to get out and it brings authenticity. So absolutely. Let's talk about your journey because you are not indie published. You are not an indie author on this podcast. So (laughs) tell everybody um, about your journey. Uh, Tell everybody like what you've learned and sort of what advice you would have to um, my, my handful of listeners who are trying to be trad published. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, so I've learned so much. Um, when I first started writing and I wrote my very first super shitty book, which I realize it's shitty now, but at the time I'm like, this is the most brilliant thing ever. Oh, um, we've all been I, <laughs> I queried, I think it was like 200 agents. I'm pretty sure I just queried every single one that was open within this four month period of time until I finally got the last rejection. And I'm like, okay, this is not for me. And this is where I then went back and I studied the craft and I bought your book and I bought other books and just really learned how to write better. And I was dead set that I'm going to get an agent and I'm going to get a big five publishing deal. And that is how it's going to be. And then after a while, I started kind of letting that go. And and agents are great. Agents are wonderful. But agents are not the end all be all to being traditionally published. And I did not know that that existed. And so for my particular journey, I had um, an author friend talk about a publishing company in the UK actually called Storm Publishing. And they were opening up. They were relatively new, but they were all had a ton of industry experience. And they were not, uh, you did not have to have an agent to submit to them. And so I submitted um, a different story to them. And they were so kind. They were so wonderful. They actually rejected me, but um, they had a personal call with me for almost an hour and rejected me after, which I was like, this is unheard of. And they talked about my writing and my career and they were just wonderful, kind, wonderful people. And so when I wrote the sapphic novel, I knew that they were the first person I wanted to submit to. And if they were going to take me, that is who I was going to go with. Um, And so I think that is one of the things just to keep in mind that you don't have to have an agent. Agents are great, but you don't need one. There are other ways. I um, was in a pitch contest for Berkeley and I was um, at a conference where I met an editor from Penguin. And, you know, there are ways that you can get in. Um, and so to kind of keep that in mind and also just and I think that you I'm sure you've talked about this, but like there is no right or wrong way if you want to self great. You want to Andy? Great. You want to be big five and you're going to be on the wall of Simon and Schuster. Great. Like whatever it is that you want, just go nuts. Do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I'm hybrid. I've got trad deals for audio and translations, but I keep UK rights. But there again, I've already said on this call, I've got a sapphic young adult book that I absolutely intend to query because it doesn't fit what I'm doing and I can't possibly have a third fucking pen name. <laughs> or at least not one that I <laughs> manage smart. anyway. Um, yes. So yeah. What? Okay, last kind of question before I ask the yeah. ultimate podcast question. Yeah. What importance has community played in your journey? Everything, everything, everything. Um, I will tell you when I started and I wrote my very first book, I I was joining a Facebook group for like beginning writers or something. And I said, oh, is there anyone out there who could read a couple of my chapters? And Amy Nielsen, who was also a writer at the time, she's now an agent actually um, with the Purcell agency, I think. Um, but she said, yeah, I'm, I'm a writer too. And I'll read some of your stuff. And so we started coming back and forth and getting that feedback. Once, once I got over the, Oh, what do you mean? This isn't the greatest thing you've ever read. What do you mean? I should like adjust this. Once I got over that and I accepted that feedback is a gift. I love feedback. I will take it all. Um, then I, uh, opened myself up to more community members. So I have five women, actually, I'm just going to name drop them. Amy Nielsen. They're all authors. Amy Nielsen. Nelson, Essie Reed, uh, Jennifer Gatewood, Dana Renee Green, and Catherine Bost. And they all give me their own unique feedback. They completely lift me up. When I am crying, they are the ones that are like, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. Just keep doing it. When I got my deals, they are shouting me all over social media. Um, when I am creating something new and I'm like, does this sound terrible? They're like, yeah, kind of. It does, Like, you're great, but yeah. <laughs> switch it around <laughs> or like, yeah, it sounds amazing. So it has been everything. I cannot envision a world that I am a published author without the community. How did you find them all? 
Um, through social media, which I am actually, you are amazing on TikTok and social media. And like, you're so comfortable. I am like the geek in the corner that doesn't know how to do anything. I just got an Instagram. Um, but I, it was, I was just really lucky that I found these women all through social media, um, except for Catherine was the, the one woman, she is an editor and I found her that way and they became friends. But if you scroll back to my very first TikToks, I'm awkward as fuck. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so we all grow. Likewise with uh, Instagram, but there's so many hundreds of posts. So I don't think you could scroll back now. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely, I've had my awkward moments. Um, well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. So I actually put a lot of thought into this question and I was going to say it is that I'm writing queer joy and I don't want to exploit, you know, any of like the homophobia that has been thrown my way or anything. But then I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do that because I already talked about that. So um, I'm going to talk about the very first time that I really remember being a rebel. And I just had this conversation with my daughter. Um, this was in the very early nineties. I was 14 years old. I went to a Catholic school and it was a very conservative little town. And we had a teacher that I loved and that teacher was fired for being gay. At least that was the rumor on the street at the time. Um, I think the official reason was like not upholding Catholic values or whatever, whatever. Um, and I was so nervous and I was so shy and, but I was like, I have to say something. And so I'm getting goosebumps. Like I want to hug my like former self. Um, and so I wrote, I went into the office and I asked the secretary if I could have a meeting with the principal and it got scheduled for later in the week. And I wrote out this letter and, you know, I had my like little notebook and I sat down and I'm like shaking. And, um, I said, I think this is really unfair. He was such a great teacher. And if you're going to do that, um, that you need to fire everyone who's ever had premarital sex, which is like, I saw the word sex in my Catholic school, uh, but you need to fire everyone who had premarital sex and everyone who's been on birth control. And, I, you know, it went nowhere. Nothing happened. But I remember leaving, even though I was still shaking, even though I was still scared, feeling better that I did it than I didn't do it. And so I think that was my first rebel. I think that's incredible. And also what what a level of bravery to go into an institution like that and somebody that level of power and like stand up for yourself and advocate for what you believe in. I think that's absolutely um, incredible. Yeah, I love that rebellion. Like the, the, I want, I was about to say the balls on you, but the JJ on you must have been <laughs> made of iron to go and do that. That's Thank incredible. You. Thank you. Okay, well, tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books, and anything else you'd like to add. Okay, thank you for that. I do have a website, danahawkins.com, D-A-N-A-H-A-W-K-I-N-S.com. And I am on Instagram recently at d.hawkinsauthor. So those are really my two favorite places. And your book? My book is not in the plan. Uh, it just came out and I do, I am announcing it today. And so this will come out that I have my second in the series, In Mock Trouble, that um, I get to do a cover reveal later on today. So I'm just Oh, like, how very excited. Yeah. I have to go make sure I'm thank following you. you so I can see it. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you uh, so much for having me. You are most welcome. And of course, a giant thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black, you were listening to Dana Hawkins, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by Anthea Sharp, and we're talking all about how to kickstart your book. Join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.